Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and welcome to Master Leadership Through Crisis series, where we will connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important questions to help us navigate through rough waters. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Today, we are speaking with Priscilla McKinney, who's the CEO of Little Bird Marketing. She is a popular keynote speaker, prolific blogger, podcast host, industry innovator, and diversity champion. Her degree in cultural anthropology didn't seem like a clear path to becoming the CEO of two marketing firms, but her curiosity about humans, how they behave, and how they agree to behave socially is actually the best platform from which to understand the human consumer. From this understanding, she has helped many brands carve out messages that deeply resonate with their most ideal clients. Priscilla has been featured on numerous podcasts, is the president of American Advertising Federation Heartland, and has received numerous design, entrepreneurship, and industry awards. Along with her expert team, she developed the SOAR system, a proprietary process designed to create sustainable lead generations for busy leaders so they can have confidence in the growth of their company without losing focus on their other responsibilities. Priscilla personifies creativity, entrepreneurship, and authentic leadership, inspiring others to truly carve out their own path of success in her uniquely funny, no-nonsense, and slightly irreverent way. Oh, and don't give her caffeine. She doesn't need it. Welcome, Priscilla McKinney. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to be on the show. I love being on podcasts, but I love talking to women on podcasts, especially. Me too. Me, don't tell anybody. Okay. It'll, it'll be our secret. It'll be our secret. <laughs> um, you know, you make me smile. I look at your surroundings. You're so radiant to you. We're so happy to have you on our podcast. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am. I am. I hope what I have to offer will be of help to somebody. I'm sure it will. Now, tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. Well, you know, I joke around with my team all the time about what leadership is. And when people ask me for leadership positions, I say, well, you know, I don't give leadership positions. I recognize leadership positions. And they say, well, how do I know if I'm a leader? I'm like, well, look behind you. Is anyone following then you know you're a leader. And I think my path to leadership is one like that, where some things happen naturally, and you look behind you and say, isn't that interesting? People keep following me. What am I going to do with this? And so I tapped into what I wanted to do. I really did want to lead, and I wanted to create something interesting, something different, and I wanted to create a place 
where it felt good doing it. And so my original name, my actual legal name of my company is Soul Garden. So in terms of leadership and my path to leadership, it was really an owning of how I wanted to feel coming to work every day. And could I create an environment where other people contributed to that? And we made it something special and it wasn't soul sucking. In fact, it was the opposite. It was a soul garden. I love that soul garden. What is the name of your company now? I have several different companies. The main one that I talk about mostly and why I'm usually on stages is one of my agencies. It's called Little Bird Marketing. And we're a content marketing, a digital agency. We have a proprietary system that brings people from absolute, you know, marketing chaos to that, ah, that I can sleep at night feeling in terms of marketing. So that's our system. That's what we do day to day. But we're really activated teaching people about how to make marketing work for them, meaning don't do it from your perspective and blah, 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 and shout at people or just talk at people, but really do the strategy work and think about your most ideal client and then write all of your content based around their needs, their emerging challenges, and even their most persistent challenges. So that's really, you know, the world that I live in day to day. I do have a couple of other companies that I'm running because apparently I can't. I'm a serial entrepreneur, always looking for an opportunity, but that's my day to day really. And I'm not surprised that you have a couple of companies under your belt. Now, where can we connect with you? Well, it's littlebirdmarketing.com that is really the best way, but I have to say I'm a huge Twitter fan, but I am even bigger on LinkedIn because one of the other services we do is I help companies with actual sales teams really create a digital transformation across their entire company and really bring that marketing learning across to where it's genuine with salespeople and they're out social selling in a dynamic way where they're leading from their heart and they're leading from a sense of always being helpful to their ideal client. And so we do a little bit of both, but because of that, I'm on LinkedIn constantly. I'm doing crazy things during this COVID-19 just to try and lighten the mood mm -hmm. and just try and make people feel like, you know what, this isn't the end of the world. Take a deep breath. It's going to be difficult and we're going to move through it. So finding me on LinkedIn is probably the easiest thing to do. Now you mentioned this. We're at, I think at the tail end, hopefully, of the global yeah. COVID <laughs> pandemic. How has that affected your organization? Has it shifted anything? I think it has slowed a few things down and that's kind of ironic because we've never been in more demand. The messages that we've said to people about get your marketing house in order and then get your sales team house in order and both of them need to be digital. Those messages have never been so deeply resonant right now and so we have had a lot of work. We've onboarded many new clients during this time. We did work remotely but it has had the interesting effect as our work has sped up. It actually has slowed us down as people. And we've been far more mindful about calling clients and really going deep with clients. And we were in the very unique situation where we were able to make sales during this. Very unique. And I certainly know that it's so hard for people out there. But I have to say, even if we weren't able to make new sales, I really feel that the drive, the number one thing we needed to be doing was absolutely going deeper with the clients we already had, making sure that we were taking care of them, taking very seriously that duty of care to the people who have followed us and who have worked with us for so many years. And honestly, 
rely on us to help them get through crisis communication and even knowing when is the next sale happening for them. So it's a weird conundrum. We've kind of sped up on some aspects and the work has been crazy and I'm hiring, but we've slowed down in some of the more meaningful conversations. And that's been a bit of a gift, I have to say. You know, I wrote down gardener. You know, you mentioned soul garden. It makes me think of someone who is careful to water, to take care of the seeds they have planted. And that to me is who you are, a gardener leader. I mean, I could be wrong. What do you think? True, but I also think, you know, just like with any gardener, they've done things that haven't worked, you know, and sometimes they've gone on a risk and maybe there's been times that they haven't been very careful. I think that the real beauty between a careful gardener is one who carefully looks at their mistakes and also says, oh, you mean I can't plant that there. (laughs) Next season, what I'm going to have to do is this. And I make mistakes with my team. I make mistakes with clients. You know, I make mistakes on stage. And I think the difference there, the carefulness is not necessarily an aversion to risk, but the carefulness is to say, if I'm going to do something right, or if I'm going to do something wrong, I'm definitely going to be careful to listen to the story of it. I'm going to listen to the outcomes. And were they really what I was going for? Is this really how I want to show up? Is this how I want to be remembered? And so for me, it's more about that mindfulness, whether it's success or failure. So a careful, mindful, humble gardener. (laughs) I love that. Now I'm very, very curious. Where did the name Little Bird Marketing come from? Oh, that's interesting. You know, I don't get to tell the story very often. So thank you for asking that. But we want to create something special and not just something special for brands, meaning there are a lot of agencies out there who want to do really great work. And I do have a lot of team members who are award-winning designers and writers and everything else. I'm so proud of them. But a lot of times agency work is totally focused on the company and the brand and doing something so cool. But what I wanted was, could we create something that was so cool, not only for the brand, but so cool for the people who follow the brand? Meaning, could we create an experience that was maybe a little bit more premier, a little more intimate? And so when you go and you share really good news, what's the first thing that people say? A little bird told me this, this, this. And what it says is not only that it's good news, but it also says it's so good that you're activated to say something But the last connotation for me is super important. It connotes some kind of belonging. It means that you somehow have been pulled into the inner circle and you knew something before everybody else did. And that's what we're trying to create with brands where people have experiences with the brands that we serve and they say, gosh, I'm so glad I found out about this. I belong to that tribe in some way. Like you helped me find my right company, my right solution, my right people, my right tribe, whatever it is. But we wanted that really intimate experience between brands and their own clients. And you are so playful. You refer to yourself as Mama Bird? Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that crosses a lot, but it's pretty funny. (laughs) I also let people call me La Presidenta, so La Presidenta, so okay. So are you Latina? Are you Native American? Are you a combination of... Oh my gosh, 
gosh, I get so these questions all the time. Um, my heritage is actually Puerto Rican, so I'm a Caucasian Hispanic. <laughs> but I wasn't born there, so I don't okay. say Boricua. But my family came from there. Obviously, I come from a lot of other, you know, I'm probably more German and more British. But then everything that I lack, my husband brings to the table. So he's Native American. He's Scottish. He's, you know, That's so my beautiful. kids are absolutely the craziest mix. But people usually can't place me at all. It's, it's pretty funny. Right. But when I saw you, I said Latina or Native American. And then the name, you know, Little Bird Marketing. It just, right. to me, it just kind of... Well, in a strange turn of events, not only do I come from that heritage, but my parents lived in Spain long before they had me. And then we came back and I actually grew up, my formative, my teen years, all in Spain. And so I actually learned Spanish, you know, as a teenager and not my first language in the home. English is my first language. My first language was actually Spanish, and then it quickly became English, Right, as, um, as, as happens a lot yeah. <laughs> once you get to school. So Priscilla, what quotes or advice has helped you during times of crisis? Hmm. Well, I like to draw from my favorite author, who is Frederick Buechner, and he is not referred to very often, sadly for me, but it's B-U-E-C-H-N-E-R. And I spell that out because I want so many more people to discover his work. But there's one quote that just is always just guiding me. And the short version is listen to your life. Hmm. And he goes on to say, you know, listen to your life, listen to the mundane just every single piece of it, he says, because there's nothing that God can't be present in that is so huge or so tiny. Like there's nothing that can escape the way that you listen to your life and what you find when you really take the time to listen. And he ends that phrase with, because life itself is grace. And I just am like, oh my gosh, what's interesting is that here we're talking in the middle of a global pandemic. While it's guided me during a lot of other things, it is so grounding right now because, you know, I have not experienced hardship during this. And I think we all know a lot of people who have were very awake and alive to how much harder it is for so many people. And I think listening to that part of my life is that it's me being grateful. I'm not going through hardship. I'm certainly not going to complain, but listen to my life. And if I can't be grateful for it, if I can't have gratitude right now when other people are not getting that opportunity, then it really is a slap in the face to the grace that's been given to me. And so I love that quote. It's always guided me more recently. When you asked me about that, I thought, well, nothing's changed for me. But I will tell you one that's a little bit more funny that tells you a little bit more about my personality. And I did mention that in this particular pandemic, you know, we're not facing a crisis. But actually today marks nine years since an F5 tornado came and ripped through our town here in Joplin and took 35% of our town in 22 minutes. Oh and goodness. so three weeks after that, I stood on a sidewalk and watched my creative studio burn to the ground. It's not that I haven't faced crisis and it's not that I look at it and say things are easy now. I've been there and I've walked through some of those very difficult things. And I know there are a lot of people right now walking through those difficult things. But one thing that kept me going in that was a little bit more of a flippant uh, quote. And that was from Anton Chekhov. And he says, any idiot can face a crisis. It's the day to day that'll wear you out. Okay? Because the reality is that things are really hard right now. And actually in crisis, I find it's a little bit easier to lead in this. I'm not trying to downplay how hard people are having it, but it's a little bit easier because there are fewer options. 
Do we completely give up or do we go forward? And it never becomes so obvious as when we're in crisis. And that's why you see heroes, you know, rise. And that's why you see, you know, when we experienced total devastation in this town, you saw such amazing kindling, of a sense of community and all kinds of wonderful things that do come out of horrible things. But I like to keep that kind of in my mind to say, you know what, crisis is not hard. Making these learnings and making sure that your people are okay long-term, that's what will wear you out. So make sure you're ready for the long haul. Those are wonderful quotes. I love listen to your life because life itself is grace. And I've been meditating on the abundance that's all around me and being thankful for that. Love it. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. If you want to find, claim, develop, and expand your voice in order to land that job, those clients, or that partner, then Master Your Swag podcast is for you. You don't have to have expert credentials to be featured, and you can select from several plans that can perfectly match your needs. Go to MasterYourSwag.com and claim your spot as a guest, and be ready to get noticed. That's MasterYourSwag.com. All right. So, Priscilla, many use the term lifelong learner. Mm. What does that mean to you and what are you learning right now? One thing that I'm trying to teach my staff at all times is what I think is the easiest thing to learn and the hardest thing, which is self-reflection. And to be aware of how we show up, what we're giving off, what we're leaving behind. What's the energetic wake that we leave behind us? How do we pick up the phone? How do we get online? How do we come up on a stage? How do we treat people in private conversations? Like being mindful of these kinds of things. So as a lifelong learner, yeah, I'm learning things about marketing. And I learn something every day. The poor sod that comes into Little Bird Marketing and starts because they're learning something every three minutes. (laughs) You know, digital marketing has moved so fast and none of it's being taught in school. And so it's just everything here is learning. But to me, a lifelong learner, those are just things that happen. You've got to learn the tips, the tricks, the skills, but really a lifelong learner to me means, are you learning about yourself? Are you learning about how you show up and how you affect other people? And you can see, you know, we talk in my team all the time about the power of self-reflection and how we're showing up and how we can bend to make it easier for people to interact with us. How can we be not overly sensitive, but how can we command our presence and have total agency over who we are and what we want to do and yet not completely bulldoze over people? Mm. So I'm learning that and I'll give you one interesting thing, maybe a little bit more vulnerable, but I have, for the first time ever on my management team, on my leadership team, I have this wonderful, wonderful woman who is what we would refer to in a DISC. She's a D. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I'm an I. I'm a high I influencer, chatty, chatty, chatty. But she's a D. And I love her. She gets things done. She doesn't get her feelings hurt. She's a (laughs) go-getter. She loves so many things about her. But also, sometimes she does things that are so D it causes me to reflect on, oh, that's interesting. I can jump into a D mode all the time. I, it's really not very hard for me. I'm very close to that borderline. But sometimes I realize I am so overly busy with things that I jump into a call without being 
aware of it. And it's interesting. She's, I'm sure, learned things from me like, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. And I've learned things from her. And I'm not putting her down in any way. The reality is, is that I'm just so grateful for that person in my life because I need the skills she has. I get the personality. I get the natural style that she has, and I need it. But it also, it's somebody who can go toe-to-toe with me and help me see that maybe sometimes the way I react to things is not the best way. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have a mutual agreement there that we're okay with kind of pushing on each other and making sure that we're holding each other accountable to what we say is what we want to achieve with the people around us. And is it in alignment with how we're actually acting? So, you know, for me, self-reflection, it's not just something I say and then put it out there. I'm pretty vulnerable with my team enough, you know, to still be able to lead, but be able to show, look, I'm not going to get it right every time. And you're going to have to, you know, cut me some slack sometimes. I am the boss, so I get to kind of have a final word. That's just life. You know, get used to it. We all have bosses. I have bosses. Um, my clients get the last word on right, me. Right. So that's the natural course of things. But even with a leadership structure, you can have that learning and you can be able to reflect on who you are and how you're showing up. You're so spot on. Self-reflection is something that we need to continuously work on because the hardest person to lead is always ourselves. Not everybody knows that though. Here it is. Priscilla can attest to this, right? Yeah. Who's the hardest person to lead, Priscilla? Yeah, it is me. I got to get up. I got to meditate. I got to think. I've got to, you know, plan how I'm going to show up. And then I also have to deal with the failures when I don't do what I say I wanted to do. That's right. And how I react to other people and how I value other people also comes into play. So thank you so much for that. Now, Priscilla, when you think of leadership today, mm-hmm. what most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about? Mm. Well, what most concerns me across the board is gender parity, for sure. I'm very concerned about how we go forward in business, uh, what kind of voices are not being heard. And gender probably rises to the top for me, but I would say diversity probably is close behind. For some reason, you know, and this is everybody just has to be who they are, the gender issue is a little bit more pressing to me because I think that if we deal with the most obvious gender issue, you know, when you have someone sitting here and they happen to be a female and you have someone sitting here and they happen to be a male and the male is getting paid 30 to 40% more to do the same job, to me that's so blatantly obvious. If we can't deal with that, how can we deal with the finer nuances of race and ethnicity and diversity and everything else. So to me, I feel like those things will follow. But the one thing that I guess I'm very concerned about, but I'm very active about, and then where I find some hope is that I do um, put a lot of investment into groups with women. And I've tried a lot of groups that are run by women and for women. And I think we all know some of them aren't. They're for women in name only. And so some people give up. But for me, you just have to persist and you have to find that group. Probably the one that is the most near and dear to my heart is one that's called WIRE, which is called Women in Research. And I was lucky enough to get involved there. But the thing is, you have to put into any group as much as you want to get out. And so I think a lot of women be like, oh, I tried that. But they don't actually really invest in other women. And I guess the piece that I want to share that makes me a little bit more hopeful is I have found my tribe. I found my tribe in several different groups because I've 
invested the time I've given to women in that. And there's this idea of mentorship. And while that is interesting and good, and I mentor a lot of women in my industry and also in my workplace, the other side to it is where we need to really make a difference and where I get hope is this concept of sponsorship. There's been a good old boys club for as long as we've all been around. And they are very smart. They don't mentor men, they sponsor other men. They don't say, oh, let me show you, Bob, how to do that. Let me spend two years talking to you about your feelings and leadership skills and upskill you. They don't do that stuff. They say, oh, Bob, you need that job? Hold on, pick up the phone. Hey, Randy, Bob needs this job. No, I, you know, just don't even interview him. No, what I need you to do is I need you to just hire Bob. Okay, sounds good, bye-bye. And they use their clout and their influence to insert their people, their chosen people into positions. And it can be great and it could be horrible because who knows, Bob could be the best person for the job, but that doesn't necessarily follow. And women absolutely need to get better about sponsoring other women. So when I go up and I'm gonna be speaking on a stage, I wanna know, are there other women on the stage? I'm not gonna go and speak somewhere if other women are not being invited, even if I'm one of the only women, I don't care if I'm getting to play, it's about looking at the bigger picture. So the sponsorship element is the place that I get hopeful and quit kind of drowning in some of the things I can get depressed about gender parity. I love that. And also I'm curious about the communities that you're involved with because there are other women that are listening to this and men that, you know, this beats at their heart as well. Um, so tell us. I totally agree that other men need to be involved. And I have been so privileged to see so many men step up into these organizations. And these organizations do not exclude men from joining. And I've been at events for all of these women events with men there. So a couple of them that I'll mention is number one, like I mentioned, why are women in research? Obviously, it's specific to a particular industry. But I've been involved greatly with emerging women. And that is an amazing tribe. And I've been fiercely dedicated to the women that I've found there. And over years and years, you know, we've met over years, but you, like I said, there are a lot of people who went to events, but then they don't follow up. The other one I love is Gender Avenger. So you can uh-huh. go to genderavenger.com and you brought up this idea of men in this. Not only are there men on the board for women in research and who support that and sponsor events, but also there are men who take a pledge on Gender Avenger, and they say, I will not speak on a stage unless women are fairly represented. <laughs> oh, I, that gave me chills. Oh, it's so powerful. And you know, it's like, chills. yeah, you know, even my, my young son, I can't believe this is happening today because my 11 year old son said to me the other day, I was listening to a podcast about gender parity on the way home the other day, he happened to be coming with me. And I didn't think he was listening, of course, all parenting. We don't think they're listening, but they are. And he says to me, mom, do I do that to women? He's 11, 11. And I said, you know, he's like, are all men bad? And I was like, no, of course not. Like my husband's a stay at home dad. He's just fiercely papa bird, you know, to these kids and he's homeschooled them and incredibly supportive. He's no nothing different, but I love this question that comes up and you just address it. It's like, no, you're not, and you won't be, but let me tell you about the men that you're going to meet. And then he got a little deeper because he's just an old soul. 
about, well, why do other women let that happen? <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh. Great, you are great questions. He should be a podcaster. <laughs> exactly. And I was just like, I think you might have been learning and listening for a long time. Wow. That's yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now we have an option for you. Okay. You can either answer a question from a former guest mm -hmm. or you can share a never will I ever moment. Well, I guess I don't ever do never will I ever because I think never will I ever make blanket statements. <laughs> I okay. think the flexibility with which you need to, you know, come at life is just not in alignment with who I am. But I would love to ask other women, which is one question I ask all the time. Where did you find another group, I don't care if it's men or women, but who allowed you to come in completely with your own agency and really give your gifts. I'm always looking for those kinds of groups, groups that, you know, I don't care if they're salespeople groups, whatever the interesting connection of the tribe is, but where have you found people who have somehow found each other and who have made something meaningful? I have several that are mine. Obviously, I just shared them there, but I always love to ask other leaders that. Where have you found that beauty in community? And it's not about it having to be personal. I'm not talking about like, oh, so that I can go cry somewhere and I can be known. No. How can I be in my own strength and in my own expertise, be counted upon, and know that I can turn around and count on those people? All right, so that's a question that we have for someone who's coming to be a guest on the show, but I do have a question from someone who has been here. So Peter Montoya mm -hmm. wants to know, as a leader, what is the objective of your moral compass? Wow, the objective uh, uh, of your moral <laughs> compass. <laughs> I know, that's a big uh, question. Well, I think for me, I think it's no surprise what I'm going to say based on what you heard here. It's how I actually feel at the end of the day, meaning can't, and not feeling like just my feelings in themselves, because as my husband is apt to say, those are just feelings. <laughs> but I have this concept of, can you lay your head on the pillow at night, being completely at peace with the decisions that you've made, with the way that you've talked with people? And I think in terms of that moral compass, you can call it a conscience, you can call it whatever you want, but this idea of, can I reconcile my private life to my public life? And a funny thing about that is I got off Facebook years ago, which is ironic because I've been paid to speak at Facebook. So, um, you know, it's just life brings you crazy stuff. And actually I had already gotten rid of my Facebook by the time I got asked to speak there. But that was one way that my moral compass was just not okay. I could not live in who I was and stay in alignment by hearing the things I was hearing. And I could try and go out and fight that battle and be in the world and just like, you know, rage every single battle there was. Or I could say it is not possible. And for me to stay in the actual morality that I profess, I just need to not play in this playground. And so for me, I think it's not always about going in and fixing things. I think it's also sometimes you maintain your morality and you are true to your moral compass by walking away. Mm. And that's super important to know that every battle is not a battle that you have to have. And also, you're not the hero. You don't always have to be the hero. You know, you just have to play some interesting small part. You know, I've been thinking about this for several years, obviously, from Women's March to, you know, other things that I'm activated in. 
And I remember in the middle of this just being very overwhelmed with a lot of these realities and just really trying to meditate. How can I get out of this? How can I still be who I am and interact with people in this world and keep who I am? But I, for some reason, I ended up on a podcast listening to this family who during slavery, it was this white family, the singing family, they were a troop, and they went around the U.S. and they were singing, but they were singing anti-slavery songs. It's so many death threats against them. Nobody knows their name. Nobody knows who they are. But it was an interesting story about how the show must go on. And even with death threats, they went out and they did their concerts and sang their songs to try and raise people to that belief that, you know, owning another human life was wrong. And now we look at that and kind of mock it. Well, of course it's wrong. But they had a moral compass and it seemed completely unbearable what they had to do. And yet they did it. And so I think in terms of your moral compass, you got to think, is this my moment? Is this the battle I need to fight? But then also knowing that sometimes your moral compass tells you and now walk away. So much wisdom, Priscilla. I love it. Um, I, I'm, I am certainly engaged. Now, you have a podcast too, right? I do. I do. Tell we're us about nearing, that. We're nearing 200 episodes. It's called Ponderings from the Perch. So obviously, it's a very playful <laughs> view of me as the mama bird. And we talk about all things marketing. We talk a lot about market research. I do have a degree in cultural anthropology, so I'm interested in how people behave and why people behave. I just had somebody on the other day, a neuroscientist, talking about why we behave based on brain science. And I find those things very interesting. And then sometimes I just have people on because I just like them. So I have them. <laughs> And you get to do that, Mama Bird. You get to do that. I love it. <laughs> Every once in a while, I also play my auto harp, which I love dearly. So it's super, super, super uncool, but it's my show. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I love that. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I think it's just about not getting overwhelmed with all the opportunity, all the things that would, should, could, and regrets that come from that. I think the best thing that I've been able to do as a leader and just as my own person is to clear out some space in my own personal life. Have, I'm trying so hard. It's just a constant struggle to have some margins. You know, we live in such a frantic, fast-paced world, and I'm not against the hustle. I'm not against running at things or taking on challenges or being in a hurry. I'm not against those at all times. There's right times for it. But you have to have a balance of a place that you are grounded and a place that you can create some margins. Great creativity comes from margins. Great community comes from margins. You know, and great self-reflection comes from margins. So I just would encourage people where in their life can they carve out a, just a little bit more of a margin on the edge of something to really show up in the way that they want to show up? I love it. Um, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Um, thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Oh, I'm so appreciated. I, I really enjoy this, Lily. And I know this is the start of a great relationship. We'll yes. Each other. I know. <laughs> yes. Have a fantastic day. Thank you. You too. And we'll be seeing each other soon. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.